Welcome to the climb! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. What is leverage, you ask? It's a strategic advantage. It's the power to act effectively, whether you're a songwriter or an indie artist. It means that they need you just as much, if not more, than you need them. That's where you're going to get the sweet deals. That's where you're going to get the love. That's where you're going to get the attention. And that's why we called it The Climb, C-L-I-M-B, Creating Leverage in the Music Business. That brilliant acronym was created by my boy, my good friend, and my co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter. Brent is an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady Antebellum, Joe Nichols, and more. And what I love about Brent is he helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you write like a pro, do business like a pro. And when you got that piece together, he'll connect you with the pros and you can take it to the next level. You can find Brent super easy at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They help you find your sound and they help you grow your audience so you can become the artist that everybody loves and so you can get paid. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That's production, singular, no S, and there is no S because there is no other. Johnny D. What's up, man? What are you doing, brother? I am. I'm excited because we have a guest on today and somebody you've told me about. I've gotten to chat with just a little bit, but I hear she is full of stories. So I'm, I'm just, full, I'm just she's full of a lot of place for a little story time. <laughs> stories is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to um, introduce everybody. This is a guest that uh, I'm super excited to have on this podcast. Somebody that um, quite literally changed my life forever in a great, the most amazing way and um, who was very, very instrumental in my career and in my growth as an artist when I was out there doing it. It's um, Barbara Strauss, who was the former manager of Kid Gypsy and who used to also manage uh, Chiselle Yoakum, who's also known as Twinkle, uh, which was a, uh, a super, um, she was a. She had, I think, on Warner Brothers at the time, the biggest record deal that Warner ever gave an unsigned, unknown artist. So wow. they were pretty, pretty excited about her. So, but before we get to Barbara, um, let's take care of a little business. If you haven't joined the Climb Community, please do so. Uh, it's on Facebook. Search for the Climb Community. Ask to be let in. We let everybody in as long as you have a picture in your profile. I just deleted somebody today because they I don't know if it's real or not it looks like a bot I'm not going to take the chance so mm-hmm. um ask me letting me let you in be good boys and girls there's a lot going on in that community huh Brent like yes there is people asking questions people jumping in answering questions sharing um you know inspirational stuff educational stuff all kinds of goodness so yeah it's a good little growing community Right on. And uh, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to the podcast. Then the full episodes every Tuesday and the mini-sodes every Friday with letters loaded with value bombs automatically load into your phone and you can get to them, skip back and forth and do whatever you need whenever you want on your own time. You don't need to wait for the marketing to come out. Uh, leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It means the world to us. That's the best, uh, you know, that's it. it, it we love to read those. We'll read them on the air. We'll make mm-hmm. you famous. But uh, it also 
tell, tells people <laughs> outside that uh, we are who we are and, and we're legit. And then finally, the best compliment you could give is tell somebody about us. You know, we've got a reputation, spread it around. And um, it's uh, when you tell somebody that you're getting something out of it, that's social proof. And if you've got a, a bandmate, a fellow songwriter, somebody, a musician friend that's in the music industry that could benefit from the content that we're putting forth on this podcast, then please, by all means, let them know about us. So uh, with that, without further ado, let me introduce you to Barbara Strauss. Hi, Barbara. Hey, Barbara. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm great. Great. So you have a, I mean, a fascinating story. The reason I wanted to bring you on, uh, and I thought you would be a great interview on this podcast, is your story, the story of your life, of where you came from, and how, like when I first met you, where you were, which was, (laughs) your words, living in a two-by-four and driving a Hyundai, (laughs) and and, and where you've grown to now, um, and I mean, Barbara built up the Sarasota Blues Fest into to quite the profitable machine over how many years did you run that? Well, the Blues Fest had, had started with a uh, blues society. They went bankrupt. And at, at the time, I had just started my quote unquote production company. I don't even know what that meant, but I, I was going to be a producer. Anyway, I had it for 18 years and I felt I had taken it as far as I could take it. And I was going to close it down. I ended up a big, uh, a big company came in and bought the right to the blue sets from me. And, and I got out of that. I, I continued to do one-off shows, which I don't know if people know what that means, but instead of an annual event, I would do a the foreigner, a BB King, a George Thorogood, yeah, like a whatever. You became a promoter. Yeah. So, that's what yeah. You do. so well, let's start from the it, beginning of that because I want to get to the beginning of that story, but I just wanted to kind of, you know, show people where we're headed. The, the news here, and this is one thing that um, you and I and, and Brent, I think all relate on is that I think when we're looking at people that are in the industry, when we're looking at other artists who are way farther along in their journey and they've got a tremendous amount of success. We, I mean, how many times Brent have you heard like, Oh, the big guys in the industry won't let me in and it's a closed club and, yeah. and mm-hmm. you've got to yeah. know all these people and blah, 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 blah. But uh, Barbara, you, you didn't know anybody. You didn't have anything to do with the music industry and, and you took nothing and turned it into something out of sheer will, out of sheer desire. And I think that story is going to be inspirational to a lot of our listeners. So start with like, how did you get in the music industry? And let's take it from there. Well, uh, this is going to be a big edit, but I got (laughs) off to a bumpy start in life. I was uh, a wild party girl until one day I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. So I woke up, I really had no education. I had no uh, formal background in any kind of a business. And I ran into a girl who wanted to go to California to try to get a record deal. And she asked me if I would come and babysit her baby. So that's how it all began. We did go to California. She got signed by Warner Brothers. This is the girl that John was just previously talking about. And um, 
she, I babysat the kid. I was the babysitter. So when people say, oh, you started babysitting an artist. No, I started babysitting the baby of an artist. Are you with me? <laughs> the baby of a baby I artist. Very, right. Yes. Yes. I, I rapidly, I, I got rid of the party bug and I said to myself, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be in the music business. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I just, was watching what was going on and, and times were different back then. Record labels were different. There wasn't, you know, stuff on the internet and, and stuff that people were doing today. So I saw the way that things were going. I rapidly moved from the babysitter to her assistant to her manager. But after a few years, I said, you know what, I'm going to go off on my own. I didn't want to, I, I, I didn't want to go in that direction. I love the girl. She's fabulous, but we had different styles of work ethic and I had the bug. I was going to, I was going to make it whatever making it means. So I started my own production company and was going to be a live concert promoter. Honestly, and John knew this, I did live in a two by four and I did drive a Hyundai. I didn't have two cents to my name. I was a woman. I was trying to get into the music business in, in this particular area, all men. I had no money and I had no background. So the chances of my success were slim to none. And it, so, so it, it paper, was a joke. You to ev- terrible. <laughs> On paper, I looked terrible. And looking back, uh, they were, you know, everyone said she'll never make it. You know, she's a woman, she's young, she's inexperienced, and she has no money. I mean, to be a producer, you have to have money. And it is a big gamble business. You have one day, if you're doing live music, you have one day to make your money back. So I just didn't... uh, I didn't care what I was told. I was going to make it and I don't know how I was going to make it, but I knew that I was going to work hard. I was going to be honest. I was smart. I was tenacious and I was passionate. And I felt that I could get from point A to point B, which you and I talked about the other night, John, I feel that I have become a great success. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody else thinks that, but I, I feel that way. I've run great shows. I have a great reputation. I, I am a moral person. I've made enough money for me to be happily ever after. So to come from nothing and get where I got, that's what I call success. And success is a word that is relative. You know, everybody... Right has their own idea of what that is. I, there's one lesson I kind of want to uh, pull out of this, of what you're talking about, you're babysitting the baby of an artist. And then you mm-hmm. moved up to being her manager, you know, to like day-to-day assistant and, and other stuff, right? So what was that? You started babysitting the baby and then you started working for her on, on business stuff, right? Yeah, but look, I think that, a lot of times the reason why that you have the artist that is the creative person, the singer, the writer, whatever. And then, then you have management mm-hmm. or uh, PR people or whatever, because they uh, are on two different ends of the spectrum. This, this particular artist, her name's Twinkle. You guys should look her up. She's a beautiful singer. She had all the artistic side of it, but not, 
the the money and, and the organizational skills. Yeah. So you put two people like that together, which is why you guys can help people in, in addition to you guys are artistic, but um, you put that together. And if, if it's a good mix, then, then you can soar. Yeah. I adore this girl, but I don't feel that she had the experience the same drive that I had, I got a late start and I was not going to mess around. I would work 24 seven. I didn't care. I didn't care about weekends. I didn't care about partying. I didn't care about going out to dinner with my friends or holidays. I was going to work until I dropped. And, and, and that's how you get successful in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And anything that I'm saying is just my opinion. Everybody beats to their own drum and has their own style. But I think the reason that you guys were interested in talking to me is finding somebody that came from nothing and quote unquote made it in something that they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And I think even though, you know, Twinkle maybe didn't become a household name and you were babysitting her baby, right. Some people, you still you did that well. If you wouldn't have gotten any sort of promotion or working with assistant, if you'd like, you know, lost the baby. Right. So you did a good right. job with a small opportunity. You know, a lot of people may look at that and go, yeah. well, it's not really in the music business. I'm, I'll leave the baby in the car while I go inside and cut my demo or something stupid. You know, they, yeah. they would, you were obviously you did a good job with that and you were responsible with the small seed of an opportunity. And then because you took advantage of that and you took that seriously and you were excellent at that, that opened up other doors of opportunity. And I think sometimes people can miss the opportunity within the seed and that you didn't. Exactly. And I want to say that my family had money, but I'm uh, okay. Well, you guys are going to hear it. I'm a Jewish American princess. Uh, my family did not want their princess to be in the rock and roll business. Princesses marry a nice doctor and have kids and be the president of PTA. They would not support me. They would not give me money. They did not want this to happen. And when I took the job being the quote unquote babysitter, they were mortified. I said, listen to me, I have to start somewhere. I'm going to start babysitting and I will make it. I knew it and it happened. So sometimes we have to, or I had to humble myself and start from the bottom. I made a hundred dollars a week, a hundred dollars a week. That was it. But I knew, and it happened very rapidly because of the things that I said previously, I was smart. I was hardworking. I was uh, passionate. And I wasn't going to let anything stop me. So I would always encourage people, A, obviously to follow your bliss, but don't be too proud to start at the bottom. Right? Excellent. I agree. That I agree. might be the name of okay. this uh, episode right there. I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what? Let's, let's just take a quick, uh, you know, quick uh Litmus check here, a quick check of the uh, of the pulse uh, of the blood pressure. David Geffen, who's a a billionaire, I think. If not, he's a I mean multi millionaire. When he sold MC, when he sold his label to MCA, 
he was the single largest taxpayer in the country that year. I think it was like five or $600 million that, that he made. And he started in the mailroom at William Morris Agency. Um, I think of um, Brian Foraker, who's a friend of mine, who's uh, does like almost all of our mastering since I've, for even before I moved back to Nashville, when I was in LA and he mixed the white snake record, the big one with here I go again, he mixed um, and and recorded uh, Rick Nielsen or uh, not Rick Nielsen, Rick Springfield. He did heart records. He started with heart on the road as a roadie and, but he was just so fascinated with what was going on. He made good friends and he got in the inner circle as the roadie. And then it got to be where they were recording and the engineer would be like, Hey man, go move that mic over there. Go, go, go push that thing in and do this and do that. And then he started doing it. Next thing you know, he's an engineer. Next thing you know, he's the engineer for Keith Olson and uh, look that name up if you don't know it as a producer. And then he's, then he's a producer and, and he worked his way up, but from the lowest level roadie that you could possibly imagine. So um, you get to managing Twinkle and I mean, there's like, again, because you haven't heard of her, she got the largest, isn't that right, Barbara, the largest record deal that Warner ever gave at that time to an unknown unsigned artist. She didn't come from another brand name. Yeah. Yeah. She at, got a guaranteed two record yeah. deal. I mean, she made. Well, you know, she had a gar- you- She got a six record deal. Uh, Pat Leonard was going to produce her. He had just come off of Madonna. Uh, they got. She was on VH1. I mean, they put more money into to this unknown artist that at that time in the history of Warner Brothers. Yes. Wow. Yeah. She she went to uh, Montreux Jazz Festival, which was. Uh, yeah, I headed was, up I by there. Quincy Jones. I mean, y'all went out there, and we and went out there, and Clapton's band was was her band. It was amazing. But you know, I think you and I have talked about this. Sometimes the greatest singers don't become the biggest stars, and sometimes somebody that. Is not the greatest singer or the most beautiful or or any of what you think is going to make it. Maybe they become the biggest stars. It it it's a combination of many things. And fortunately or unfortunately, in my opinion, talent is just a small piece of it. Mm-hmm. Right, John? Yeah, and you know, we were talking about that last night. You had mentioned that. Um, Pat Leonard, who's Madonna's producer, he also produced um, Unplugged and Seated for Rod Stewart. I mean, he's huge, right? He he liked to say that mediocrity sells. And you and I were having that philosophical discussion last night at dinner and saying, you know what? I don't know that necessary mediocrity sells as much as the mediocre people know that they got to work harder <laughs> to get their product maybe. out there. And, and so I think maybe more mediocre artists become bigger than the super uber talented ones because they, uh, and, and Brent, you know, you and I have talked about this. Mm-hmm. If we use a, a microcosm of this concept with lyrics, like I, I've noticed that the better singer you are, and I'm generalizing, of course, but typically the better singer you are, like the worse you are at writing lyrics, because since you were a little kid, you just could make people bow down at your feet when you sang the oh, yeah. phone book for crying out loud. So 
you never felt the need to, to fill in a hole there because you were getting the attention that you needed as an artist. And we all need that. I mean, that's a good thing. But Yeah, I mean, for me as a lyricist, it's as I'm not singing the lyric and I'm just going, hey, here's my idea. What about this for a line? And I'm speaking it and it knocks your socks off. You know, it's not because of the performance. Whereas yeah. other, some singers, they can they can sing a line. You're like, oh man, that sounds killer. Then you actually got to think about the words and not be seduced by the the sonics to realize whether or not that's any good. And that can be tricky sometimes. Whereas, yeah, a guy like me who's not going to have any of the sonics going for me, the lyric has to stand on its own. So it, it ends up becoming a strength. But yeah, it's you got to watch that mediocrity. <laughs> That's right. So, so and, and, and I think, Barbara, I think to, to your, hold on, to your point, like to your story, to the point of your story here, is like you didn't have a, a known talent for promoting. You, you, you had zero background. You just had a drive and, and you had something to prove. You had to prove it. So you worked 10 times harder than maybe somebody who was the son of a promoter who believed that they were entitled and they had um, all these connections and they were just going to be able to get into the promoting business, you know? Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Correct. And, and you have to, you know, anybody that knows me, (laughs) I just nag people (laughs) until I get what I want. I'm just not (laughs) going to take no for an answer. I'm not taking no for an answer. So the more people told me I couldn't do it, the more it gave me the drive to do it. So part of it was my passion because it's one of what I wanted to do. But the other part of it was I was told no, no, you can't do it. And I want to go off on a little tangent about the, the mediocrity, the mediocre thing. Have you guys heard of this kid named Marcus King? He's a, a blues guy. Warren Haynes is producing him. I'm they call fine. him the uh, triple threat. Mm-hmm. You haven't heard? Tri- no, uh, I haven't he's, heard. He's amazing. Everybody should check him out. He's a blues guy, but he sings, he writes, and he plays guitar. He's the triple threat. So 
uh, and he has Warren Haynes producing him. So he's the quadruple threat. But but some people I feel feel and I can relate this to myself. If you don't have the triple threat or you don't have, you know, what people call all the pieces of the puzzle, they don't try. Yes, a triple threat has a, a better chance of escalating faster up the, 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 the food chain. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean the person with one talent or actually like me, I don't know, maybe I have no talent, but uh, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try. And, and what John had told me that part of what this show was about was about positivity. And I don't mean to be too, you know, hippie, artsy farty or anything like that. <laughs> I, I just want to say that people that want it and believe in themselves and are willing to work can succeed. And don't let anybody else tell you anything differently. So right? on that note, take us from, um, take us to the Blues Festival. So you get this opportunity, the Blues Society, they put on a festival one year. Was it one year? Two years. And they went bankrupt. And then um, a guy came to me and said, you know, I'm a promoter. And you're, at, at that time, I was known uh, I'm a smoother. I could raise money and I was good with PR. And he said, why don't you raise the money and, and, and you do the PR and, and I'll do the rest of it. Put this, you know, take this festival and, and bring it out of the doldrums. And I thought it sounded like a good idea. Uh, shortly into the process, I realized that this guy was, uh, didn't have the, the same moral compass that I had. I'm trying to use my words here. I had to learn how to be a promoter very quickly because I had gotten some people I know to invest money and it was absolutely horrific. Uh, if, if you go to a concert or the average person, they go, well, what's the big deal? There's a stage, there's sound and there's, you know, the artist. No, there's 10,000 pieces of a puzzle and like any puzzle, if you don't have all the pieces, the puzzle isn't going to hold together. Are mm-hmm. you with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I got through the first one. We lost $1,000. And I want to say it is the only time in my life or career I've ever lost a penny. I thought it was the most horrific thing I had ever done. I called my parents screaming, oh, my God, I lost money. And they said, how much? I said, a thousand bucks. They go, oh, my God, you could have lost. 100,000, you, you did really good. Well, <laughs> I never wanted to do it again. It, it was so overwhelming and scary. And one day, again, to make the money back and so many pieces of the puzzle, I said, I'm out. I don't want to do this. And then I'm not sure if you know this part of the story, John. I was in a recording studio and there was a poster of the Blues Fest on the wall and Greg Allman was in there. And he said, who had a blues fest and didn't invite me. And I said, oh, I don't know. And he said, you know everything in this town. Who did it? You don't want to admit it, I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, it was me. He said, why didn't you invite me? I go, I didn't have any money. You know, I, he goes, well, do it again. You know, I'll come next year. And I'm like, 
oh boy, now this is really putting another layer on. Now I'm going to do a festival and I don't know what I'm doing and I have no money. And now I'm going to hire a friend of mine to come sing. So, By the way, this is right during the Kid Gypsy days. So I'm like, I got a front row seat for this whole thing, Brent. Like, uh huh. Yeah, and I and, like she's and running you, around you like she get with her head cut off, terrified. Right? <laughs> I was terrified. I didn't have enough money to hire security people. I didn't have enough money people money to get caterers. So I had my girlfriend's rolling turkey <laughs> to make jelly trays. I <laughs> I didn't have a system to pick up money. You know, the bands would get there and they go, "Do do you have our money?" They don't go on stage, and I go, "Oh yeah, yeah, I have the money." Go to Beer Ruth 1. Go to Beer Ruth 1. Go, go collect money from the front door. We'd be in a money room counting money. and It, it, was, it was horrific. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I put the show on sale and 10,000 people showed up. 10,000 people showed up. And there was a big pile of money. And uh, we sold 200 kegs of beer in a day, which is a lot of beer. That's 20,000 glasses of beer. And then I said, you know what? Maybe I do like this business. Maybe, maybe, maybe this could be fun. So that's how it all started. I credit my success with Greg Allman's name, getting the 10,000 people there. And that was the beginning of the end. Then I had the bug and I went, you know what? I'm going to learn everything I have to learn. I'm going to do this. And uh, uh, and that's what happened. So when did the start of the baby the picture for you? Was that during the Greg Allman show, which is what the fourth? I didn't even of- know what a sponsor was. I didn't know anything about being a promoter. And I was reading a magazine one day and I saw these little things at the bottom and I go, what, what are those? And they go, they're sponsors. And I go, well, what do they do? And they go, well, they give you money. I go, well, I want a sponsor. So <laughs> that's how that the, good. That's how that began. So as as silly as this sounds, and as oh my God, maybe this girl's exaggerating. I promise you, I started as the babysitter. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I was going to make it, and I did. So that is the rah-rah for anybody out there in anything in in what you guys are trying to help them do. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. And don't ever let anybody tell you you can't do something. Yeah, and expect to be told no. Expect about a thousand potholes along the way. I Mm -hmm. I remember with you, gosh, I think the the years that – we were working together and that you did the blues fest. Um, I think every artist that was a headliner came with some kind of like major drama or something like, that. <laughs> like, like yeah. you know, yeah. like, like one of them, I'm not going to mention the name, but he's like a super famous blues dude and he's passed out in his hotel room. Like it's in a movie, man, like, like 10 minutes before he's supposed to be on stage. <laughs> Oh, gosh. And Barbara's there, like, there was, oh, wake up, you've got to play. You know? <laughs> there is always drama. And um, no matter, look, I did become, um, I feel, a really great promoter. Um, 
I never lost money. So if you talk to AEG or Live Nation, the big guys, they win some and they lose some. And sometimes we co-promoted, AEG and I did, but they said, you know, every show isn't a winner. And I go, no, maybe for you, every show isn't a winner because Mm -hmm. you have a guy bankrolling you. For me, every show is going to be a winner. So if I had to go out and put a sandwich board on my back and go up and down the street and sell tickets, I would have done it. I was definitely not taking no for an answer. But no matter how good I became, there are still always bumps in the road. And that's just life. Mm-hmm. Right. I think there's a lesson in there about uh, the one you know, AEG or whoever that's bankrolled by somebody else. You're like, ah, you win some, you lose some. But for you, you had skin in the game. This was your business. And your business, I think it's relevant for artists too. Like if you're signed to a label, they're like, eh, some artists pan out, some don't. You're like, I'm the only Uh artist I am. Uh So it better work out for me. And and to have that attitude like you did with promotion going, okay, I'm going to do what I need to do to make it successful. Obviously some big corporation is not going to be as vested in my success as I am. And so I, I think that's another parallel that's, that's helpful to, to remember. It's like, yeah, you win some, you lose some. Well, to the sum, that's a hundred percent. Yeah. And from the, from yeah. a label perspective, well, I mean, I, I love that because a label, you know, major label is going to have hundreds of artists and you're, unless with this, the whole point of this podcast, unless you come in, with the ability to get everybody excited. Cause I'll tell you what, the music business is, is littered with really, really talented people who had one person at a label that loved them, that gave them a deal. And then that person a year later goes to another label and, or gets hit by a bus or, and then the rest of the company, they don't care. You're not their baby. They can't promote you. It works against them to promote you. So you have to be able to get everybody to buy into you before you take that step. And that's all about cash flow. That's all about leverage leverage and having a business. That's it. So, well, that's a great story, Barbara. Um, I'm so happy that you were um, willing to to come on and, and, and share that with us. And I mean, from nothing literally nothing to, um, to, I mean, you're the, the, the company you keep down in Florida is ridiculous. I mean, not for nothing as an artist. I remember the day when we played Sarasota and you brought Jerry Wexler to the freaking show. <laughs> and I was <laughs> and like, look, oh, you have- how do you know him? Like, <laughs> but I mean, and you know, babysitting the baby of somebody who thought they might get a record deal. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And look, you know, yes, I, I have been fortunate to have Jerry Wexler and Rick Hall and they're no longer with us. And if anybody's listening to this and doesn't know who they are, go Google them. But, you know, I went from being the babysitter and I've done shows with ACDC, uh, uh, Aerosmith. I mean, everybody. So the lesson here is believe in yourself, work hard, be honest, be passionate, and never give up. That's what I can give to anybody out there. And I always said this, and John knows this, the, the many people that tried to help me and uplift me because of my passion and because of my humbleness, I said, if I quote unquote made it, 
I would give my brain and anything that I have learned to the, the next person and pay it forward. So I, I hope that some of what I've said can inspire people. And I, you know, I'm here and John and you guys are, are here to help people get to the next level. And I think what you guys are doing is amazing. And anybody that hooks up with you is very lucky to have you in their corner. Oh, one final value, Bob, before we sign off here. I remember like one of the secret weapons that you told me was that you loved to tell people, and this is counterintuitive to, I think, what a lot of uh, our community would feel and the way they would react in a situation. But you love to tell people that you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) You would go to like Warner Brothers and be like, listen, I'm trying to do this and I I just, I don't know what I'm doing. And would you like, can you give me some advice and help me out? Like, and of course they're falling all over themselves to share their knowledge with you. And you just tapped into all this different kind of information from record labels to promoters, to artists. And that served me well. I mean, I remember that was the lesson I got from you. Like, just go, don't be afraid to tell me you don't know what you're doing. Like, Hey, I don't know what's going on here. Like, help me out. You know, you got any kind of clues, any questions? Like, what should I do? And it, when you come from that humility and it's also genuine because the, the people who know at one point didn't know. And so, we can smell somebody who, who's BSing and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's exactly. But you know, we talked about this earlier. Um, they say fake it till you make it. Yes. There is something in fake it till you make it, which I kind of did becoming a promoter, but the, the, the flip side of the coin is be humble and don't be afraid to say that you don't know what you're doing because, as you just said, John, I would go to guys and I wouldn't go, Hey man, I'm a big shot. I'm in the booze. I go, Hey man, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? And they thought it was so endearing that somebody in the music business wasn't trying to act like a big shot mm-hmm. and wasn't trying to BS somebody that they wanted to, to help. So I think being humble and admitting that you don't know what you don't know can be an asset to you. Absolutely. Well, you can't end on a, on a better note than that. Um, Brent, did you have anything you want to say before we wrap this up? I just want to thank you for, for spending time with us and, and chatting with me before we hit the red button and just for sharing your knowledge and some of your story with the climbers. I think it's really inspiring and, and just a lot of lessons in there uh, that we can um, all just keep using and applying. So uh, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And I'm always available. If you guys need to pick my brain or want to hear more stories or if there's anything I can do for either of you other than, uh, hope that everybody listening can, can jump on your bandwagon because I think you guys are terrific. Thanks, oh, thanks, Barbara. All right, so that brings us to the end of another Killer Climb episode. Once again, join the Climb community. If you haven't done so already, search for it. Ask to be let in. We let everybody in. And be amongst people who are just as passionate about you, about learning more and, and progressing in their in their careers as songwriters, as indie artists. There's a lot going on in that community of people helping people, which is what's really thrilling for Brent and I to watch that. And and we participate uh, all the time in there. So that's cool. Subscribe to the podcast and make sure you get those episodes automatically from your phone. Uh, 
share it with a friend. That's the best, the best compliment you could give us. Let them know if it's working for you, it's going to work for somebody else. Then go in and cherry pick some episodes and find something that's relevant to them. And uh, do take a 20 seconds and leave a rating and review, five-star rating and review. Let, let everybody else know what you think about it, if it's helped you in some way. And that helps uh, people who are just going to stick their toe in the water know that we're legit. So uh, with that, guys, this podcast exists because we want you to win. So keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. Bye-bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.